0: Amen. Sing a, the choir sang a line this morning that, that I just can't get past in my head, in my heart. It uh, said, And when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. And, and I wonder sometimes how much time we spend meditating on, pondering this idea that God sent His Son uh, to die for our sins. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sins. I wonder how much time we have spent this week thinking about that, meditating on that, spending time pondering that great idea. And I wonder sometimes, even when we do take time to do that, if our response is proper. I think sometimes we spend time thinking about how Christ died for us and our response is, then sings my soul how great I must be, how, how, how worthy I must be that God thinks so much of me that he would send his son to die for me. That's not the right response to the gospel, is it? I think the right response to the gospel is right in that song. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great you are. How great you are. I encourage you this week, if you haven't been regularly meditating on the gospel truth that Christ died for your sins, I hope that you will this week. Spend some time quietly thinking about that, meditating on it. And I hope your response will be like the response of the writer of that song. Sings my soul. My voice doesn't sing well. You you guys know that, right? My soul sings, right? My soul sings to him, my Savior, my God, how great you are, how great you are. I hope that that will happen this week in your life. I want to give you a fair warning before we start this morning. Uh, The last worship service I was in lasted four hours. (laughs) So we're kind of used to that now at this point. So (laughs) buckle up, get comfortable, and uh, we we may be here a while this morning. Now what we're going to do today is, is recap 1 Corinthians. We're going to take the plane to very high altitude and look at 1 Corinthians. We have spent a great deal of time studying it, a little over a year now, and uh, we, need to, we need to look at it as a whole and remember some of the things that God has taught us and remind ourselves of why we study the way we study. Last week, uh, I know that Joe T. wrapped up our study of the text of 1 Corinthians. Hopefully he didn't ask you to actually kiss each other during, during the application portion of the message, right? I didn't hear. Surely I would have heard in Haiti if you had done that. I appreciate Joe, uh, and I appreciate his service to the church. Uh, You you guys know that that when I leave, uh, I don't worry about you being in bad hands. I don't worry about things falling apart. Um, Trust Joe, and and thank God for the fact that he is here and willing to serve and does such a great job. I'm thankful for Brad also. I know that he was back last week with you, worshiping with you, and... uh, I'm glad he's doing so well and making such good progress. I'm thankful for Kelly. I'm thankful for Aaron. Uh, we've got a great team here, and, uh, and it's a good, good thing. And uh, I, I want to say that I appreciate them uh, every chance I get, and I especially remember that when I'm gone. Uh, like I said a minute ago, we'll take the, take the plane to really high altitude today, look at 1 Corinthians. I'll give you 1 Corinthians by the numbers first. Uh, first number you need to know is 7311. Uh, That was the date of the first sermon we preached in 1 Corinthians. That was a long time ago, 13 months. 13 is the next number, 13 months of study. 55, roughly the number of sermons we've preached from 1 Corinthians. 16, the number of chapters in 1 Corinthians. 437, uh, the number of verses in 1 Corinthians. And we have looked closely at every single one of them. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And I thank you for all that you've taught us in the last 13 months. I thank you that all 437 verses of 1 Corinthians are breathed out of your mouth and are profitable to us. I pray that over the next weeks and months and years, we will see the benefit of our time in 1 Corinthians that we will be conformed to the image of Christ, that we will grow in unity as a church, that we will grow in understanding as a church, that we will grow in devotion and worship as a church, and that in it all you will be glorified. God, I pray today that you will help us remember where we've been. Help us to see Jesus every step of the way. And help us to translate as we leave this study. Help us to translate this knowledge and understanding into action. We don't don't want to be scholars, we don't want to be students merely. We want to be disciples, we want to be servants, we want to follow Christ. And we cannot do that on our own. Just as we needed your help in study, we need your help in application. So use us for your own glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Do you have your Bible? Good. Open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First thing I want to do... Uh, today as we think broadly about 1 Corinthians is I want us to think even more broadly than 1 Corinthians. I want us to step even further away from the text and think about why, we, why it is important that we study the way we do. Why it is important that we preach the way we do. And and some of you have heard me articulate this before. Uh, in fact, I'm I'm reminded uh, this week of a conversation that was had in my living room in Mississippi uh, with the pastor search committee when they came down uh, to visit with me and we were talking about all kinds of different things and uh, and they talked about the the style of preaching because they had heard some of some of my preaching and Jason Brannock in particular kind of was like why do you why do you do it this way and and he almost had this attitude of it. Yeah, he agrees with me. <laughs> almost had this attitude of, it's not a really good thing. Like, we, we would almost like you to do it differently. And, uh, like, like, the other style of preaching is better. Topical preaching, where you try to preach to felt needs of the congregation or social issues that are around or things like that. And, uh, and so he asked me this question, and, and, and I laid this out of, of why I'm convicted that this is the way you're supposed to preach. This is the best thing for the church and all of this stuff. And uh, I was worried at that point that, that I was on a different page from this search committee, and it and, uh, turns out Brennock was on the wrong page, right? Uh, <laughs> and if you know Jason at all, you know that, that he will enter into an argument, guns a-blazing, ready to fight. And, and as soon as he realizes he's wrong... He puts him away and says, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm wrong, <laughs> and, and I'm with you. And, and that's kind of what happened. And, and I say that, and he would talk to you about it the same way. And, uh, and so I want to I kind of lay that back out for the rest of you. I've done it a few times since I've been here, but we need to be reminded of, of why it's important to study the Word the way we study the Word. Um, and we need to understand that because preaching of the Word... If, it, if it's not the most important thing that happens as we gather together it is one of the most important things that we do uh, when we when we proclaim uh, the Word of God and so it is a central Issue. It is not some secondary thing that's off on the side. It's not something that just a few people are a part of. It is a central part of the church. In fact, one of the keys uh, to a healthy church is a healthy pulpit. And uh, so this is an important issue and, and we need to spend some time thinking about it. And I want you to know that I, that I don't preach the way I do because it's the easiest way to preach. Uh, because it's really not. Uh, I don't preach the way I do uh, because it's the most popular way to preach because it's not. Uh, I, I preach the way I do because of, the, because of clear conviction and, and what I believe is a clear uh, mandate in Scripture to preach the word. Um, that's what Paul tells Timothy it's what we see all over the place it's what we see in the Old Testament that's what it's what God's men did they preached the word they delivered God's word thus saith the Lord we sang about that just a minute ago uh, that's that's where the church has come from that's what we always see and so it is it is not from some pragmatic perspective that I preach the way I do uh, it, it is from a, a clear theological conviction and, and what I believe is a biblical mandate uh, to preach this way and, and so I want you to know that that it's that it's not some minor thing in my mind uh, in preaching there are basically two schools of thought. Uh, Number one is topical preaching, and the other is expositional preaching. Topical preaching basically starts with an idea, an issue, or an application, what we would call the topic, and then goes to the text to see what the Bible says about that. Or or maybe more practically, it starts with a conclusion in the mind of the pastor, the preacher, uh, of an idea that he wants to communicate, an idea that he wants the church to hear, and then goes to the text to find a text that supports that idea in the mind of the preacher. Does that make sense? And so topical preaching, I I really believe, starts with a conclusion and works backwards to the text. And, And I hope that you will see in that a little bit of, backwardness a little bit of that that really doesn't make much sense i'm going to articulate why in a minute that it really depends a whole lot on the preacher and 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 is subject to a lot of twisting and a lot of contorting uh, and is different but topical preaching basically starts with an idea an issue or an application what we would call the topic and then goes from there to the text to find a text that makes that point okay expositional preaching on the other hand starts with the text and from the text draws the topic the issue uh, the the application, the idea, whatever it is comes out of the text, and whatever the text of the day is that 's the issue of the day okay and, and so those are the two differences i mean they, they couldn 't really be more different, both of them are, are preaching the word of God, and, and i 'm not trying to dog or belittle anyone who would do topical preaching. I think churches have thrived and survived on, on topical preaching for a lot of years, but I think that what we will see today is that there is a huge benefit to expositional preaching, uh, and that the, the dangers of topical preaching uh, are, are, are all met in expositional preaching. The weaknesses of topical preaching are all shored up in expositional preaching, and so I'm not trying to say if, 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 if you prefer topical preaching that you're bad or you're wrong, although I might say that in private. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying there's a, there's a difference. I, I think one is superior to the other. I'm not saying the one is detrimental, um, but one is superior to the other. Uh, and, uh, and so that's the, that's the difference. My commitment to expositional preaching is really birthed from two places. One is my view of scripture, and two is my understanding of myself. Um, that's that's the, the two reasons, the two uh, foundations upon which this conviction is built. The first one uh, is my view of Scripture. I believe that the Bible is the very Word of God breathed out for us. It is uh, without error right? It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is the supreme authority for us in every area of life, right? It is the fullest, most clear revelation of God that we have. It is God saying, this is who I am. He has revealed himself certainly in other ways, right? In the creation, he has revealed himself. Uh, In his son, uh, he has revealed himself, but we are not with his son. We are not walking as Peter and Paul and James and others walked with Jesus. We're not walking that way. So today, the clearest revelation we have of God is his word. And so if... If we believe that, if we are a people of the book, as Baptists have claimed to be from the beginning, then we need to be students of the book. We need to be people who gather together around the book, not so that we can worship the pages, not so we can worship the words in the pages, not so that we can worship that, but so that we can worship the God it reveals, the God who is revealed, the God who reveals himself in the book. Does that make sense? So if scripture is that way, if the Bible is that, then what, what else could we do? then get together and study it. If the Bible is what the Bible says it is, then we must be students of it. And so that is really my, my view of Scripture, which I hope is your view of Scripture, is, is what drives this commitment to expositional preaching. So the question then is, well, can that be done? Can, can we tell what the Bible says in topical preaching? Yeah, you could. You could do that without just plowing through book after book after book. You could. But, but my conviction is, I don't think you would. I don't think you would faithfully study the whole Bible unless you plow through book by book. You could, but you wouldn't. Does that make sense? And that kind of leads to the second pillar uh, of this conviction is that not only does my view of Scripture drive my commitment to expositional preaching, my understanding of myself drives it. My understanding of myself and my sinfulness, three things. Number one, uh, I am young. <laughs> I am young, really young. And I you get you guys know that, and you give me grief about that all the time I'm young and therefore I don't have authority or experience that I can speak from that is my own you know, I, think, I think maybe if a guy has been in ministry for 40 years, he could stand up and speak. He shouldn't, but he could stand up and speak uh, with, with a bit of authority and from a great deal of experience and say, I've been there, I know what this is, and, and I know what I'm talking about and that kind of stuff. I can't do that. I, I realize I'm just a pup. I don't have experience. I am, uh, in a lot of ways, a kid. I totally get that. And so because of that, I don't want to stand on my own authority. And I pray that that when I've been in ministry for 40 years, I will still not try to stand on my own authority. It's foolish. It's dangerous. It's prideful. It's it's bad to stand on your own authority. So where else can I stand except on the authority of the Word of God and simply declare to you this is what it says, uh, this is what it means, and this is what we should do about it, right? And so uh, not only do I think uh, about Scripture in a certain way, I think about myself in a certain way and realize I'm young, and therefore I don't have authority of my own or experience of my own from which to speak. Number two, I am limited I don't have a great deal of insight into your lives. There are a bunch of you in this room and and from young to old and I don't know what all is going on in your life. I don't know the issues that you're struggling with. I am definitely limited and finite. One author who helped shape my understanding of this said that a topical preacher will never preach more than he already knows. I don't know much. <laughs> I don't know much, and so if if all I ever give to you is what I know, that lasts about two years, and then we start over, right? To give you what I know, and we start over, and we just say it better two years, and and, and that happens in a lot of pulpits. You just get the same thing, the same limited understanding of the pastor over and over and over again, and so part of what I understand is I am very limited. I don't know a whole lot, and so we've got to go to the book to, to talk about things that I don't have any understanding of, and we study the book, and we understand them, and then we preach them that way. So I'm young, I'm limited, and I am sinful. I am sinful. I have no ability to set aside my personal agenda or hobby horses and am tempted constantly to preach from my sinfulness. And I want you to know that I am tempted in that way, even preaching expositionally. Even expositionally, I have a tendency to uh, hit hobby horses, hit personal agendas. I can't imagine how much more I would do that if on Monday morning I said, well, all right, what are we going to preach about next week? Man. Man. You would get rant after rant after rant from me because I'm sinful. I'm sinful, and it would be an ugly thing. And so uh, those two pillars, one, my view of Scripture, one, my understanding of myself, leads me to the conclusion that expositional preaching is the way to go. The, The other reason why is that there are a whole bunch of you guys, and there's no way that I could try to preach to you. It's one of the other kind of schools of thought that motivates topical preaching is that you get to know your congregation and you get to know what they need and you preach to those felt needs. Well, there are 400 of you in this room today and you all have different needs, right? And I might get to know Donnie Wall so well that I could say, all right, Donnie, this is what Donnie needs. And so I'm going to preach this message because I know that Donnie needs it. And maybe none of the rest of you need it, right? You see how that could be a very bad thing to do? And I could, I could start preaching maybe at Donnie Wall. And it's all motivated by Donnie Wall. And, and that wouldn't be a very good thing. And so there are all of these reasons why expositional preaching, I think, is superior. The idea of expositional preaching is explain the text and apply the text. That's what we must do. A steady diet of expositional preaching is one of the keys to a healthy church a steady diet of it. That doesn't mean that every once in a while we can't break from exposition and talk about some topics. We've done that several times here, but that's just a snack that we get. Uh, And the steady meal that the church gets is expositional preaching, and that is so important. The church was born through the word of God. It is sustained by the word of God, and so we must be committed to preach the word of God. Okay? I hope you jive with that because I'm, I, this is so important. This is so important because if you say, oh, it's, it's not a good thing. I wish, I wish he would preach more topics. Uh, but we need, we need to hear about this and this and this. And I agree, you need to hear about this and this and this. And if we study the text, we'll eventually get there, right? If we study the text, we'll eventually get to everything that you need because God has given us his word to meet all of our needs, right? It is the bread that we live on. It is the bread that sustains us. And he will speak into every area of our lives in his word if we will study it. So I promise you that if we will commit ourselves to study the word of God, he will meet us where we need to be met and he will speak into our lives. And we have seen it in the first Corinthians, have we not? We have seen it in 1 Corinthians over and over and over again as we've studied faithfully through this book. God has, over the last 13 months, met us right where we needed, and there was no clearer place than that than when the tornado hit right? When that tornado hit, we were in a place of the scripture where it was talking about all of the different gifts working together, all of the different unique unique and individual gifts coming together to work toward the common good. And we saw it, right? We needed to hear that. And God was preparing us for that even before the tornado. We were talking about that. Then the tornado hits and we get to do it. And so God has done that and he's done it over and over and over again in our lives and we are thankful for that. We have covered a great host of topics in our study of 1 Corinthians. Most of them have come at just the right time in the life of our church many many of the te- topics we've covered in first corinthians we would never have covered we would never have covered if i had sat down in the morning and said okay what are we gonna i would never have preached so much about tongues in a baptist church right never never would have approached first corinthians chapter seven and eight Never would have done that if we were just preaching topically. God has given us things that we didn't even know that we needed. And that's so important. We didn't even know we needed them, and yet God gave them to us through his word. Here's a sample of the topics that we have covered as we expositionally studied through 1 Corinthians. We've talked a great deal about the church, right? You see what I'm trying to do here? I'm trying to say we've studied for the last 13 months, plowing through the text, and now raising the plane to a very high altitude and saying, what topics have we covered? If we're going to approach it from a topical perspective, what topics have we covered in our expeditional preaching? We've talked a great deal about the church, right? How was the church born? Right? We could easily title a message that. How was the church born? How should the church be led? We've talked about that. We've talked about how should the church exercise discipline? right? Remember that guy that's sleeping with his... Stepmother, and that whole problem and what the church should do about that, we wouldn't have talked about the guy sleeping with his stepmother if we were talking topically. We wouldn't have touched that with a 10-foot pole. But we did. How should the church serve? What should the church's mission be? How should the church celebrate the Lord's Supper? And what are the dangers? What are the, what are the issues to avoid when we talk about the Lord's Supper? What about spiritual gifts? We spent seven weeks in spiritual gifts in chapters 12, 13, and 14. We talked about spiritual gifts to great ends. We talked about the difference between the roles of men and women in the church. Also, would not have talked about that if it had been up to me, right? That was sticky, wasn't it? And it made some of you mad, didn't it? But it was what was there, and God gave it to us, and it's profitable for us. And so in the, uh, in the uh, outline of 1 Corinthians, there's a whole section about the church and all of these other topics about the church. There's also a whole section about relationships. What about our relationships with the leaders in the church? Remember back to chapter 1 when there are people who are having quarrels? He says, some are saying, I have Paul, and others, I have Apollos, and some, Cephas, and I have Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none would say that you were baptized in my name. Right? Paul talks about how our relationship with leaders should be. He talks about how our relationship with brothers should be within the church. Right? How we should serve one another and care for one another and put one another ahead of us. Remember the whole business at the Lord's Supper? Uh, the rich people are oppressing the poor people and they're going in the line of the Lord's Supper first. And they're getting their bellies full and they're getting drunk off the wine. And the poor poor people are out in the back and they don't have anything at the end of the day. The ones who need it the most don't get anything. And there is this bitterness between the two groups. Right? How are we supposed to relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ? How are we supposed to serve? How are we supposed to love them? We talked about relationships in marriage, right? We talked a lot about marriage. How many churches spend six or seven weeks on marriage? We did that. We did that. In 1 Corinthians, we did that. Six or seven weeks about what marriage is supposed to look like. But we didn't just come up with it out of the crystal blue. We saw it in the text and we preached it from the text. We talked about singleness, Right? In the context of all of his talk about marriage, he says, Oh, but there are some of you who are single, and it's so good. It's so good that you're single, and you're so gifted in your singleness to go across the planet and serve the Lord without distraction, without division in your allegiance. You can go, and you can give your life and service to the Lord, and you don't have to worry about a wife, and you don't have to worry about children. You just give it all for the glory of God. And he talks about singleness and how he actually prefers singleness over married life, right? And so he says a word about singleness. He says a word about marriage. He talks about our relationship with other churches toward the end of the book. He talks about that, that Corinth is not the only church on the planet. First Baptist Church is not the only church on the planet, but Corinth is linked with all these other churches, and First Baptist is linked with all these other churches, and we saw that this week in Haiti as we went down to Haiti and we met with other churches and we sat in on a worship service and we saw the body of Christ come together across a language barrier. Uh, I think, I think Victoria is going to talk about this tonight, about how we didn't, we didn't understand what, was, what they were saying but at the end of the service, they brought out bread and a cup. And they took the Lord's Supper, and we took the Lord's Supper with them. And there was this great unity and this common understanding of this is what, this is what draws us together. We didn't understand what he was preaching about, but we understand the bread and the cup, right? And so there is a relationship not only here amongst us, there is a, li- a relationship globally with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we talked a lot about the church. We talked a lot about relationships. We talked a lot about the culture about how Christians engage the culture and how we need to fight against temptation. We talked about gray areas. If you remember back, 1 Corinthians 7, 8, kind of what do we do about this thing that we're not real sure? Should we eat the meat sacrificed to idols or should we not eat it? And Paul says, well, you're free, right? You're totally free in Christ to do whatever you want. It's not sinful because there's only one God and there's no such thing as an idol in the world. So he says, you're totally free to eat the meat, but... Freedom is not the only principle you've got to think about. You've also got to think about your love for your brothers. And what if in your freedom you cause one of the weaker brothers to stumble? Paul says that's a bad idea because Christ died for him, and you don't want to kill him who Christ died for. And so this love for the brothers has to reign over your freedom in Christ. And he says, if my eating meat causes my brother to stumble, I'll never eat meat again. I'll never eat it again because I love my brother so much. I love my brother more than I love my freedom. He talked about those gray areas, and what a great principle that is to apply in the gray areas of our lives, because there are some things that might not be sinful. They might not be sinful for the mature Christian, but they might be detrimental for the immature Christian to see the mature Christian doing, and so we have to care and concern ourselves with those folks. And we also have to communicate to them about freedom in Christ. We want people to grow in their maturity and in their freedom in Christ. want them to understand that Christ has died for a multitude of sins. So we talked about gray areas. We talked about temptation. We talked about roles in the culture. And there was one section that talked about slaves and masters. Slaves and freemen rather. He says, if you're a slave, don't seek your freedom. If you get a chance to be free, be free. That's a good thing, right? But if you're a slave, stay as a slave and be a faithful slave. Be a God-honoring slave. Serve him where you are. Remember the application that week was bloom where you're planted. Remember that? Don't be constantly seeking to change your circumstances, but rather serve God in your circumstances. And so all of you have these roles. Some of you guys are high school students. Some of you are about to be seniors and looking forward, no doubt, to what is next. Looking forward to not this year, but next year. And maybe the application for you guys is serve him here. Serve him at HHS for one more year and give it all you've got at the high school for one more year. And and then go somewhere else and serve him. But don't constantly be looking for something else and miss out on being faithful where you are right now. sounds like something a topical preacher would talk about, right? And we talked about it. We talked about it because it was there in the text. We also talked about idolatry and how to avoid idolatry, how the world is constantly throwing idolatry in front of us now. Our hearts crave it. Our hearts crave idols. Our hearts make idols and how we've got to constantly put them away. It's what we're learning in Judges. Put those idols away and run from them and flee to Christ. We've got to be doing that. So we talked a lot about the culture. We also talked about money, right? How many churches do a a sermon series on money? All of them. And we did it. What what I'm saying is I think sometimes because of the way we approach preaching here, folks are saying we're missing out. We're missing out on important talks about things like the church and relationships and sex and money. No, you got them all. We talk about sex a lot in 1 Corinthians. Remember that? Remember how red my face got a couple times? Especially when he says stop withholding from one another. Right? It's not a good thing. Remember the application that day? Maybe you need to be reminded of what the application was. <laughs> Maybe you need to say, hey, you talked about it again, all right. This is, this is what God's Word says. And we study it, and He will speak into every area of our lives. We talked about the church and relationships and the culture. We talked about money. We talked about sex. And in it all, we talked about the gospel. You know, no, no matter what we were talking about in the text, we got to the gospel, right? Ultimately, to the fact that Christ died for us. That he gave himself for us, that he took all of our sin, all of our mess, all of our trouble, he took it upon himself and he suffered in our place so that we might live. That's where we got to get to every time. And that's what we must celebrate every time we gather together. That's why we get together on Sunday, is to celebrate the gospel. And we saw the gospel all over 1 Corinthians. No place was clearer than in chapter 15 when he says, when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But Thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And we celebrated the gospel for about six weeks in chapter 15. We celebrated the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, did we not? It's good. It's good. And so what I want you to see is that all the stuff that you want, strike that. All the stuff that you need, you will get. If we just study the word, everything that you need for life and faith and practice and doctrine, everything that you need, you will get from God's word. And so we will again, renew our commitment to study his word. You want to know what's next? Take a, take a wild guess. What's next after first Corinthians You guys are so smart. You're catching on. We're going to catch back up with the people of Corinth and see what the result has been from this letter and a visit and another letter and all of this interaction between them and Paul, and we're going to move on forward. So what I want us to do is I want us to go back to where we started. I want us to go back 13 months to where we started and what we were going to look for. And we had four applications that day, four applications as we looked ahead for 1 Corinthians. We will make the same four applications as we look back over 1 Corinthians. Number one is this. We want at First Baptist Church to encounter God. We want to encounter Him. And there is no better place to encounter God, to meet with Him, than in His Word. I think there is this movement amongst Christians today to say, "Oh, I want to meet with God, so I'm going to go out into the wilderness and just be very quiet and very still. Or I want to, I want to meet with God, and so I'm going to lock myself in a dark room, and I'm just going to be very still and very silent. I'm afraid you might meet with a lot of other things than God if you do that. I'm afraid there may be other things that you would hear if you do that. But I can guarantee you, if you open this book and study it and read it, you'll meet with God. And he'll meet with you. And that's what we want, right? We want to encounter with God. We want to encounter with Jesus Christ. We want to encounter with the gospel because the gospel will change our lives. It's what we see every time. Every time in scripture that someone has a genuine, legitimate encounter with God, their life is forever changed, is it not? Think back to Isaiah. Think back to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, right, what happened? I saw the Lord, right? I saw the Lord seated on his throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe was filling the temple, right? The threshold shook, and there was smoke, and there was flame, right? He saw the holiness of God, and what was his reaction? As the seraphim flew around and sang about his holiness, what was his reaction to an encounter with God? Oh, woe is me. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. I am ruined. And what happens? What happens when he admits his sin, when he feels the weight of his sin, and he confesses his sin before God? What does God do? One of the seraphim flies over to the altar and takes a hot coal from the altar and then goes back to Isaiah and touches his lips with it, and he says, listen, you have been cleansed, right? He admits his sin, and he receives a cleansing. And then what, what does God say? What does God say is, as, as Isaiah is encountering him? He says, who whom shall I send and who will go for us? And what does Isaiah said? Yeah, me, me, me. I'm the one. I'm the one you can send. I'm the one. I will go, right? Because he's had a real encounter with God where he was broken and ruined in his own sin and then cleansed of that sin and then put on a mission. That's what happens when we encounter God, right? That's what happened when Paul, the author of 1 Corinthians, encountered God, was it not? He was walking on the road to Damascus, ready to kill Christians, to send them to jail. All kinds of trouble he was causing for the church. And what happened? He met with God. And what was his reaction? He says, Oh, who are you? Who are you, Lord? Jesus says, I'm the one you're persecuting. I'm the one you're persecuting. Paul wasn't persecuting Christ physically, was he? Personally, was he? No, he was persecuting the church. And the church is so closely identified with Christ that Christ says, you're persecuting me. And what happens to him? falls down and goes blind, right? His life is forever changed. He has this encounter with God, and his life is forever changed. And he goes into the village, and he meets with a brother, and he is discipled there quickly. He's discipled for a little while in the wilderness, and then he gets to work, doesn't he? Paul doesn't say, wow, that was awesome. I'll sing a song about it, and I'll clap my hands, and I'll celebrate it. He certainly does all of those things. There are no loftier statements about the gospel than what Paul writes in Scripture, right? When every once in a while he's articulating a point point, he just breaks into song, singing about the greatness of God and how he's been redeemed, right? Death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? All right, swallowed up. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Paul's singing at that point, isn't he? And he goes to the nations and he takes the gospel where the gospel has never been. That's his response. And that's what we want. We don't don't just want an understanding of God when we study his word. We want to encounter him and have our lives ruined and then restored by his grace. And we don't just want to enjoy that restoration. We want to respond to it by serving him. It's what you see when people have a genuine encounter with God. Their lives are forever changed, and they're put into service. So we want an encounter with God. We also want to embed with his people. We want to be a part of the church. We want to be a part of small groups. We want to be a part of this unity. We want to be together. And that's what we see from the beginning of the church as well, right? If you go back to Acts, the beginning of Acts, Peter preaches, right? Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. And what happens when the church is born? They go their separate ways and go back to their normal lives and go about their regular business? No, they give their lives to each other, and they share everything that they've got, and they live together, and they share everything, and they are committed to each other, and they care for one another, and they know each other, and that's what we need. We don't just need an encounter with God where our lives are changed. We need a group of people to live out that change with. We need a group of people who will hold our hand. We need some people who are ahead of us in the walk, and some people who are behind us in the walk, so that we can walk together, helping each other every step of the way. We cannot do that on our own. There are a lot of people that say, I've had an encounter with God, I've met him, but I don't care about his people, and I don't want to be part of the church. That's absurd. It's absurd to say, I've been been adopted in this family, but I don't want anything to do with the family. I I want to have a relationship with the father, but not the brothers. It's crazy. We need a relationship with the brothers, and that, I think, most clearly happens here at First Baptist Church in small group Bible study. If you're not in small group Bible study, get in small group Bible study. Get in a group where you can share your life, where you can live together, where you can hold hands and walk forward. Be a part of that embedding. First, we encounter God. Secondly, we embed with his people. We plug in. We plant ourselves firmly in the surrounding mass. That's what the word embed means. Thirdly, we are equipped, and we saw that in 1 Corinthians, right? Paul's writing this whole letter to them to equip them. Over and over again, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about this. I don't want you to have this misunderstanding. I don't want you to keep going on doing the Lord's Supper the way you're doing the Lord's Supper. I don't want you to keep going on with your misunderstandings about spiritual gifts. I don't want you to keep going on blabbering where no one can understand and no one's edified, right? Paul steps in and he equips them to do church, to live life as a Christian more faithfully, more clearly. And we need that, right? We need equipping. It's not just about having an encounter with God and then embedding with his people. We want to grow, right? We want to grow as Christians. We want to mature as Christians. We want to study more deeply. And there's always more deep study for us. No matter how much study we've done, there's always more. There's always more ways to be equipped, right? And this whole letter, this whole letter of 1 Corinthians is about equipping the saints, right? That's what he says at the beginning of it. He says, I'm not writing this just to the general public. It says, Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. To those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm writing this to the church. This is to the church. This is to the saints. Remember that? Homie, I'm a saint. Remember that? We're saints. Not because we're good, but because God has called us. God has changed us. And Paul writes this letter to the saints. Because they need it. They need to be equipped. And you need to be equipped. And there are opportunities to be equipped. Here at First Baptist Church, there are opportunities to be equipped to be more faithful, more mature in your walk with the Lord. Small group Bible study is one of them. Life University is another one. There are all kinds of Bible studies and ministries going on that help equip you. Not just so you have a bunch of tools in your toolbox, but so that you will engage. That's the last application we encounter God, we embed with his people, we get equipped, and then we engage. This is understanding that leads to action. We don't want you to just have all of these skills and all this understanding and all these tools in your toolbox. We want you to work on something, right? We want you to get involved and go and do, teach a smaller Bible study, serve in the, in the uh, child care, be a Bible drill teacher, right? If you're on Facebook at all, we need some Bible drill teachers. That is one of the coolest things that we do every year. All these little kids stand up here and know more scripture than we do. And we don't have enough people to teach them right now. You can be a part of that. You can be a part of taking a little kid like Sophie or Isaac or Sam, teaching them the Word of God, planting it deep in their hearts. And sure, maybe they don't understand the fullness of it, but it's there. It's there for later. When God gives them more understanding, we need some, small, we need some Bible drill leaders. So maybe one of the r- responses in application today is, I volunteer to be a Bible drill leader. It doesn't even meet all year. It's like six months. It's a piece of cake. And you could be involved with it. But that's the point. We want people to engage. We want understanding that leads to action. Be a part of something. Most of the church... In fact, the the common statistic is 80% of the church does nothing. Does nothing. And 20% of the people do everything. You think that's true? You think that's sad? Think you can do something about it? Oh, that was not as hardy, was it? Yeah, I think it's true. (laughs) I think it's true, and I think it's sad, and I don't care. As you walk through this process of encountering God, embedding with his people, equipping, being equipped, don't forget to engage. Because when you engage, you help bring other people into the process, right? You help other people have an encounter with God. You help other people embed with his, with his people. You help other people get equipped. And so you help other people along in this process. If we don't make that crucial last step, it stops the pattern, the cycle, and the process stops. And so I think there's an application for all of us. In these four things, there's an application for all of us. There are some of you in this room who've never had an encounter with God, never met God and seen your own sin and cried out for forgiveness. And maybe that happens today. Maybe today you say, woe is me, I'm ruined. I am ruined. I am sinful to the core, and I need a cleansing. And you look... As we've talked about Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, as we've sung about Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, you look and say, I need need Him. I need you. I believe in you. And I trust in you. And I will follow you. And you turn to Him. Repentance. You turn to Him in repentance and faith. And you live for Him. Maybe some of you need that encounter with God today. And maybe there are a whole other group of people who are faithful here to come and encounter God with us in worship. You come in at 1046, Right? so that you can just walk right into your seat and not engage with anybody, not embed with the people. You don't have any interaction with anybody. You just come to your seat and you do your thing. And then before I say amen at the end, you're out the door, right? Because you want to isolate yourself from everyone. My encouragement to you, don't isolate yourself. You're only hurting yourself. You're only missing out on some of the greatest blessings as a Christian in community with other people. Go to Small Group Bible Study. There's a class for you. And maybe maybe you're here and you've had an encounter with God and your life's been changed and you're you're regularly in small group Bible study. But you're not growing at all. You're not moving forward at all. You're just kind of treading water. You guys watch water polo? Those guys just tread water all day. I don't want to be one of those guys. I want to be a marathoner, moving forward. I want to be going somewhere and doing something all the time. So many of us are just kind of treading water because we don't have the tools it takes to do something. Get involved in a Life University class. Get involved in a small group of some sort and get equipped. And then some of you are doing that, and you're, you're like connoisseur of Christianity. You're at worship all the time, and you're listening to all kinds of great preaching, and you're reading great books, and you've got all these tools in your, in your toolbox, and you keep them polished, and you say, look at that tool. Like a gun collector. One, one of my favorite preachers talks about gun collectors. He says there's so many Christians that are gun collectors. They've got guns all over their house. We're not called to be gun collectors. We're called to be hunters. Shoot something. <laughs> it's, a bad, it's a bad finish to that whole story. Right? But you get the point. Right? Some, some of you like know all kinds of doctrine in theology, and some of you have all kinds of training in evangelism. Let's use that as the example. Some of you have been trained in EE and CWT and faith and Roman Road and every other kind, and you never share the gospel with anybody. It's ridiculous. You're a collector, not a hunter. Be a hunter. Do something. Serve. Preach the gospel. Go to the nations. We took a bunch of women to Haiti. I'm kind of upset about that. When I think about it, I really am kind of upset about it. Mostly women went to Haiti. And it was clear that we were going to Haiti... To do some really difficult manual labor work. Men would have been useful. Not that the women weren't. They rocked. I'm just I'm kind of sad that three guys went. And one of them was me. Not exactly the strongest guy in the room. Do something. Get involved. Engage. Help other people encounter God. Keep the process going. Let's stand together and pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you've taught us about all kinds of aspects of life and areas of life and topics and concerns and issues, ideas. You've taught us so much. And we trust that you'll continue to teach us as we continue to faithfully study your word. God, I pray that you help us connect all of this with big ideas. For those who have never encountered you, God, I I pray that you invade their space today. Not that they go looking for you and somehow find you. But my prayer is that you will go after them. And that you will find them. And you will invade them. And you will overwhelm them with the reality of their sinfulness and the glory of the cross. And that their response will quickly be to repent of sins and believe in you and trust in you and follow you. God, I pray that there will be an encounter today between God and man, God and woman, God and boy and God and girl, and that lives would be forever changed. I pray for folks who've had an encounter and their lives have been changed and they're living all on their own. God, I pray that you plug them in somehow here or somewhere, that they would embed, that they would plant in the surrounding mass and find help advice, service, and encouragement in the life of community. And God, I pray that you equip the saints for the work of service, that you give them the tools they need to share the gospel, to teach little children, to wait tables, to fix things, to be a husband, to be a wife, to be a mom, to be a dad. I pray that you equip them to be a disciple. And then I pray that there will be engagement, that this understanding will lead to action, and that more people will be invited into the process. God, I thank you for your design for the church. I thank you for your specific plan for First Baptist Church. I pray that you guide us, direct us every step along the way, and that you be glorified in it all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.